Welcome to the Signal of Noise podcast on ProSound Web, sponsored by Blue Microphones. I'm Keith Clark, editor of ProSound Web and Live Sound International, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Lawrence, who's the technical editor of PSW and LSI and an accomplished audio professional in his own right. Hi, everyone. How you doing? Uh, that music that you heard on the way in was Break Free by Mike Green. You can hear more from Mike at mikegreen.bandcamp.com. All righty. Our guest today is Jim Yakabuski, who has spent more than 35 years as a live sound engineer, and he's worked with a who's who stable of artists, uh, Van Halen, Journey, Avril Lavigne, Peter Frampton, and many, many others. And he's also the author of Professional Sound Reinforcement Techniques, which provides a collection of tips and techniques for mix engineers. And it is available on Amazon. And uh, Jim is also uh, a contributing author now increasingly to Live Sound and Pro Sound Web. So we wanted to catch up with him about what he's doing uh, at present, which is very interesting, and also a follow-up on a couple few recent uh, articles that he has authored for our publications. So uh, hello, Jim. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. It's uh, an honor to be here with you, and I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to some good conversation. Very good. So where are you right now, physically located? I am, I am in Denver, uh, Colorado. We um, have a day off today, and we do a show tomorrow, and it is part of the uh, Roy Orbison In Dreams hologram tour. So how's the snow? Is it still out there in Denver? It is. It's been a, it's been a kind of a crazy week because I live in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, just outside of there in Anderson. And, um, we have not had fall yet there. It just seems like, uh, it's just been blazing hot right up until the day I left. And then I flew to Edmonton, uh, Canada, and, uh, there was quite a bit of snow on the ground when I landed and, um, it was 17 degrees and it, there has been snow everywhere we've been for the past week since I landed in Edmonton. We were in Calgary. We played Grand Forks, North Dakota, and spent the night last night in Lincoln, Nebraska on the way to Denver. There's been snow all the way across. So it's, uh, it's, I, I have been robbed of fall. <laughs> well, we've, <laughs> We were talking last week. You filled me in a bit on this uh, Roy Orbison tour, uh, and I know it's a performance featuring a hologram of Roy Orbison, um, and it's an entire you know concert performance. But maybe you can take it from there and explain a little bit to our audience what it is you're actually up to from a sound reinforcement standpoint. All right. Well, it's uh, it's pretty interesting, and it's quite challenging. It's one of, the, one of the most challenging things I've ever done, actually. Um, so the, um, the hologram is, uh, is great to see. It, it really is quite stunning to, to watch. And um, it is uh, tied to some recorded vocals, obviously, um, which come, come to us through, uh, you know, a Pro Tools system. And, um, and then 
everything else is live. So we have uh, we have about a, a six piece band. Uh, so you know, pretty close to twenty inputs of of uh, local band information, and then we have about. 45 inputs of orchestra. So, um, um, with the playback tracks and the backup tracks that come from video, uh, we're up, we're close to like 85 inputs on this thing. And, um, and basically you, you sit in a seat, you see, uh, a hologram image of Roy performing and, um, you get uh, a live band, a full orchestra, um, and and it's it's pretty neat. You know what? You know what I think is really interesting about that, Jim, is that uh, I think a lot of us have dealt with a live vocal over backing tracks, but this is really the opposite if you think about it, right? I mean, you've got a, <laughs> a pre-recorded vocal. Is that is, that seems like it would probably be pretty tricky to sort of get it to fit? Yeah. Um, it is, and I, I would say that the the toughest thing about it really is the um, from a recording standpoint. You know, these these tracks were recorded over decades, so some of them sound you know fantastically modern and and crisp and clean and mastered, and some of the older ones sound a little rough around the edges, and some of them even have some uh, some effects printed to the track so it's a little it's it's a little different but but overall the 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 folks who did the mastering of these his vocal track did an amazing job and and aside from a little bit of tonal difference from song to song it's uh it's pretty nice to work with um but yes it does uh it does it's tough to fit in with the live vocals because we do have two background singers uh female background singers who who sing with us. And so it, 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 it does, it's a little tough to fit, but when you think about the fact of Roy's vocal was just so unique anyway, it, uh, um, it's just such a big sound. And, um, so people, when they see it along with the image and all, and hear, hear the vocals, it, it all makes sense. Yeah. That's, that sounds Really interesting. What a unique challenge, you know. And I, I also think the other thing that's, that's striking to me that, that you know that you would be unique about this application is that yes, the vo- you know tonal variance in the vocal. I think you know that's something that comes up a lot. But you know exactly what it's going to be now. It's the same thing every night. It's coming off playback, so you're not you know no one's right. changing their their grip from night to night, or it's not you know it's not a, a room bleed thing. It's not oh you know he's not feeling well tonight. So um, it seems right. like you know once you kind of have a grip on, you know, throughout the show, what's going on in terms of the changes and you could, you could sort of anticipate that and, and get out in front of it either with programming or automation or whatever you're going to do and, and sort of kind of meet that head on, so to speak. Yeah. The, some of the, the normal challenges of mixing any vocal, uh, live, some of the things you mentioned, you know, microphone technique and, and, and how someone's feeling and how far the PA is upstage compared to the, you know, where if does the singer walk out on the proscenium of, uh, of the theater, or as a lot of shows have now, a sixty-foot you know walkway out in front of the PA into the house, that kind of thing. None of that is anything to um, have to worry about. Um, the challenge is shifting gears slightly. The challenge is that we are carrying a very accomplished conductor, 
and a very accomplished drummer and every other musician on the stage is picked up locally every day. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a big day. It starts at, at 10 o'clock, uh, with, uh, a rehearsal, uh, as far as the musician side of things go. So we load in usually around eight o'clock and we set up a rehearsal room somewhere other than on stage. So the first one at the Wiltern in LA, we, we use the lobby, some of these other venues, the Jubilee Auditoriums in Edmonton and Calgary, they had a great, you know, orchestral rehearsal room. So we set up there, but basically we set the whole, uh, you know, show up drums, uh, guitars, percussion, and all the chairs for the orchestra. And they do a rehearsal. Um, and what they, uh, what we've got set up now is a little, uh, laptop and an avion system and um, they get click and Roy's vocal the uh, the, the rhythm section we call them the the uh, rock band part of it they get that and then the orchestra follows the conductor but um, so they rehearse for you know two and a half hours take an hour lunch break and we move all the gear onto the stage and uh, do a whole other sound check and rehearsal pretty much right up till doors and then a, then a show. So it's a, it's a pretty big day. It sounds it. You know, I, I did a, a, a mixed a dance, a touring dance uh, production recently. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize often with, with these types of tours, when you come to the show, you're seeing really the second performance of the day in a way, because they came in, you know, they, we do all the, the things that we usually do, the lighting focus and all that stuff, but the, all the dancers came out and the musicians came out and they rehearsed and they did the whole show. And then they went and they right. ate. And then, you know, we opened the doors and they come out and they do the whole show again. And so, yeah. so you know, it, it's it's got to be very, you know, I, I haven't had to do that on an extended basis like you're doing right now. And it, even after one or two days of it, it's pretty fatiguing. So I can't imagine. Well, luckily, we've got some space between shows. Um, just the way uh, it was booked, uh, we have you know, a travel day between most shows or, you know, some, some two, tra two travel days. So it's been okay. We've been able to catch up a little bit. Um, but we do have a couple like four in a rows and things like that coming up and we should, uh, <laughs> yeah, we should be pretty pooped by the end of four in a row of doing that. But, um, I got to tell you that the most, um, challenging thing with all of it is just the variables. Um, you start getting that many, string players and brass players and, and a percussionist and guitar players and a bass player and a keyboard player. And you get all these people locally and they all play different and they all play with different intensity, their interpretation of the, they're all playing to sheet music. And, um, it's, uh, it's just a, it's like a living, breathing thing every day. I, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to get, even though we do a, a sound check and a rehearsal. They, um, it, you know, it sounds a little bit different every day. You got a different room, a different PA and a different orchestra and rhythm section. So it's, um, it's been a really fun, challenging thing. And, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it so far. It's, it's, um, you know, kind of pushed me uh, a lot to, to sort of up my game. That's that does sound really neat, you know. And, and a lot of the a lot of the stuff I do is is one offs for you know colleges that type of spring meltdown tours, you know, where where it's bands are coming in 
and I work with them, and I, and I may see them again, and I probably won't. So it's not that I'm pulling up a show file a lot of the time. And so, you know, I, I'm thinking about what you're saying, which is, I don't really know what's going to come out of this guitar player's amp until he starts to play, you know, and then it's sort right. of like, let's try to fit this in and okay, let's hear what the bass sounds like. And, you know, by the second or third song, you're like, okay, I got, <laughs> I got it. I think I understand the sound they're making and, and the way they're expressing right. themselves musically and how that fits in, in a larger mix. But, you know, to try to navigate that every night uh, within the playback, I think would be very interesting. So that's really cool. I'm glad you're having a good time with it, Jim. Yeah. Yeah, I really am. It's uh it's a great show if you get a chance to come and see it. Um, the, uh, the orchestration, this, the uh, the arrangements of the music is is really beautiful. So if you if you like his music, there's some good you know some good rock edge at times, and then some really nice sweeping string arrangements and things going on. Um, so it's it's a nice show to see, and it's it's not uh, it's not a really super long show. Um, and so we actually have. Uh, you had mentioned in my bio there that I, I did some work with Peter Frampton. So the last couple summers, um, I've been working with Peter and um, our production manager, uh, John. He ended up going to be a part of Bass Hologram, who are the producers of this show. And so we were looking for an opening act to just uh, kind of, you know, warm up the night. And um, uh, we have worked with Peter's son, Julian Frampton. Uh, before uh, on Peter's acoustic tour, he's had his son Julian out being uh, the opener on that. So, so we've got him again on this thing. So he he comes out and does uh, about a half hour of acoustic and uh, vocals, and um, so it's it's a nice it's a nice show. It's it's about the right length, um, and and I think I think the the attendees are really enjoying it. So, Jim, we, we'd really like to get to this article that you've written, your retro mixing article, in just a minute. But I, something I, sure. I really want to get your, your two cents on is, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, it, it seems tricky because the artist can never see their own show live. And, you know, your recording doesn't really sound like the show sounded. So the artist is really trusting you in the room to deliver their sound. And, and a lot of people say, well, you know, does, is the artist, are they very demanding about what they want or do they just say, well, make me sound good. And I found it, it really varies. And so I was, you know, what's the split for you out of the artists that you've worked with a lot of, you know, very well-known accomplished pop artists and rock artists, how many of them are saying, we trust you just make us sound good. And how many are right there saying, can we tweak a little bit of this? And, and what's their feedback like? I find that, I find that interesting. Yeah, it is quite, um, it is quite, quite a, a a split. I would say some some artists really do just just sort of hand you the keys to the car and say, you know, it's all you, go for it. And then others will ask for, you know, a a, a stereo mix of the show off the console with maybe a little audience mics or something, or they'll you know, want to come out front and listen a little bit to the multi-track playback where that's the closest representation you're going to get using a virtual sound check. But not often. I really haven't found that last in, in, um, instance uh, to, to happen very much. In one case, I actually had to convince the band to come out front and listen to the <laughs> playback. And it, it was really strange. It was just because we had designed the PA around... Uh, being extremely clean and controlled on stage, we uh, we used uh, you know a cardioid flown subarray and all the stuff to try to clean up the stage because the band had had a little 
uh, trouble on the previous tour with another PA uh, of just too much low end rolling around on the stage. So they, they sort of said, you know, when we go on this tour, would you try to design the PA around uh, being, you know, super clean? And so I did that and, and I apparently took it a little too far because it was, um, they, <laughs> they had gone from some live drums to using, you know, packing peanuts and stuff in the drums and triggered sounds. And it was just really sort of sterile on stage. And they didn't believe that the PA sounded as big as, uh, it, it did. So, uh, had them come out one time and hit the space bar and played back, you know, couple songs off the top of the show and they said okay okay we get it you know, this, is, <laughs> this is this is all working the way we hoped it would so um but yeah i find most uh you know a lot of artists are smart enough the ones i work with anyway uh, i work with a lot of sort of you know artists that that are a little bit older and they seem to understand that you know a board tape doesn't quite do it and you know if they're best friend is a guitar player and they go out front, they might not think there's not enough guitar in the mix. And, and the, the drummer friend thinks there's not enough drums in the mix, you know? So right. they, they, they kind of usually have a couple friends who they trust to say, yeah, things are balanced nicely. And, um, so I, I found I, I haven't been pressured too much in the last, uh, you know, 10 years or so about, uh, questions about the mix and, and that kind of stuff. So let's get to your article, uh, okay. Retro Mixing and the 10-Channel Challenge, I believe, is the title of it. Uh, yep. Keith, you're welcome to correct me on that. Uh, yeah. No, that's yep. it. That's the title, and uh, it will be featured in the uh, upcoming, in other words, November issue of Live Sound International. And for our audience out there, I've already posted it on ProSound Web. So if you're on the podcast page, you will see a link to this article. So you can uh, uh, just click on over and read it either while we're talking here or, of course, afterward or whenever you like. Or, hey, you know, if you like to to wait and, and uh, you know, the suspense of it all, wait for November issue of Live Sound International. All of that said, um, let's carry on. Tell us about uh you know, kind of the not just the the article itself, but kind of the genesis of your thinking here. Yeah, um, yeah. This came from um, from a a, a uh, an educational process that I used with some of some students that I had when I worked with uh, uh, a church in in South Carolina, and their uh, their students um, had been taught. Uh, mostly by one gentleman who had been there since the start of the church, who who was a, a very good mixer, and uh, but he he enjoyed using uh, a fair you know let's call it a fair amount of plugins. He he liked to to use some uh, <laughs> <laughs> some some complicated routing and some uh, you know. This this plugin will do this and this will do this and this will do this and now we got four plugins on one channel and um, you know he he sort of taught them as they came from being volunteers uh, up to being uh, an engineer on their own at a at a, a new campus that had been launched and they'd sort of only learned one way and honestly overall the all of the church campuses they had a very consistent 
sound that they that they sort of called their own, and it, it really did sound like a big big rock concert mix at at your Sunday church service. Um, and so what they were doing worked great. And so when I was brought in, I um, I just thought, well, you know, a lot of these guys have never sort of just had the audio 101 class, which is, you know, how did we do it back when there was nothing but but analog consoles and, uh, you know, insertable compressor compressors and gates and EQs and stuff like that. So I, I tried to kind of uh, take a a bit of time when I would work with each guy individually or, or a few of them at a time and just sort of strip it down and try to get some of their techniques back to basic. Let, let's wipe out, let's, you know, look at a vocal mic and let's take off all the plugins and, um, and let's just bring it up in the PA and use uh, three simple tools, uh, the gain knob, the high pass filter and, uh, and the fader basically. And we stayed away even from from using EQ, any light compression, any of that kind of stuff. It was just let's just see what a what this vocal sounds like if you bring it up into in the PA and you roll a high pass filter up on it. So that's how it started. And and the ten cha- channel challenge was was uh, sort of evolved out of let's just see how good we can make this uh, church band sound with just 10 channels, you, you know, pick your 10. You can use kick, snare, hat, uh, one guitar mic from each guy, bass, some keyboards and a vocal. And you got 10 channels. You can't use any EQ, compression, gating. Um, all, you, all you got is a gain knob, high pass filter and a fader and see what you can do. And um, it was it was really enlightening to see how great we could make the, you know, the recording. We would do multi-track uh, virtual sound check playback of, of the, the band's performances. And these guys would uh, mix away with 10 channels. And it was, it was really cool. And I think it opened their eyes to, um, you know, maybe not for, for the rest of their mixing lives, not using uh, a lot of plugins and, and, over EQing things, but it, it showed them how good of a mix they could put together by just doing it in a very simple way. You know, there's a couple of things that are really relevant for me personally. Number one is is this concept of you know putting salt on the meal before you taste it, uh, it which mm-hmm. I've I, I've been guilty of you know timeless you know more, more, countless times. And oh, this is this is my you know this is how I EQ this vocal. Well, let me really listen to this vocal first, and, and you know it's a different singer, or it's a different mic, and and so maybe I usually have that cut at at eight hundred or whatever, but I don't have it today, and you know for whatever reason, and so listen to what you have before you start doing stuff to it, and that's right. you know something that that I see a lot of people that are just beginning doing, and I, I catch myself doing it, um, and and it was funny, I was just telling Keith earlier, I was. Uh, Mixing, I, I recently mixed a, a, a band, my buddy's band, in a very, very small room, that, like just bigger than my bedroom, very small venue. <laughs> um, and it was one of those venues where you go like, well, we're just going to settle for let's get everything audible. You know, that's where we're going because the drums is just, just too loud in the room and there's nothing you can do and it's just going to be loud. And so, um, right. you know, we got through the gig and they multi-tracked it. And so I sat down last night, I went up to the studio and I pulled the tracks up and um, I had I had previously thrown a mix together just to send it to the guys in the band and just say you know here's here's kind of what 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 we got 
here's what we got out of it. It's not mixed, but, you know, I just threw a quickie. And it didn't sound good. It just sounded really bad. <laughs> and they're like, they didn't want to say anything to me, but I knew it. I'm like, oh, this isn't good. Um, so last night I went up and I, I dragged the tracks into a new project and I bypassed everything. And I just said, let me put the faders up and let me hear what we have. And I just threw the faders up and I did some balancing of level and that's really about it. And I said, you know what? This isn't bad for, you know, it's live. There's going to be bleed in the vocals and there is. But And, and the guitar player come down and he said, that sounds pretty good. And I said, you know what, it really actually does. And so it's it's one of those situations where if you don't really monitor what you're doing, it's very easy, especially nowadays with all of the digital, you know, accoutrement that we have, it's really easy to just, just slap a compressor on where you maybe don't really need one or, you know, add a cut where you maybe don't really need a cut. And I ended up with, like you said, high-pass filters. Um, one or two cuts here and there. I did a little bit of phase alignment on the drums, you know, that type of basic stuff. But because... Despite the room being so nasty, I was very careful with where I put the mics and what mics I chose and that type of thing. And so, you know, in a way, that's 90% of it, I really think. And, and so I was, I was guilty of not taking my own advice, which is listen to what you have before you start messing with it. And so it's very timely that you're mentioning this in your article, this, because it, it is really a great exercise. And I, I would even say – I would go so far as to say that, you know, when I'm frustrated with the mix, with the sound that I'm getting, uh, especially in the studio – you know, sometimes you got to kind of dial it back a little bit and just say, well, let's let's go back to the source here and let's listen to the source and and really, what is the source telling us that it needs? You know, let's start there. Right, right, right. and and like the old school guys uh, used to do, you know, especially in the studio, it's like, well, if if this vocal is uh, a little too brash here or or is lacking something there, you know, let's first try a different mic on this person. Uh, um, you know, we don't, as live guys, we're in combat half the time and we don't <laughs> get to do a lot of that kind of stuff, especially if you're in a festival situation or, um, like you said, you know, you just got three or four bands who are going to, you know, come up and just drag a guitar amp out of their car and throw it up there. I mean, you know, you, you put a, a standard microphone on it and, and you just start twisting knobs. I mean, it's, uh, it's it's what you have to do a lot of the time, but uh, but a but a, a well placed and well selected microphone is half the battle sometimes, and you know um, a great uh, tuning job on a drum kit, and you know the, the proper dampening of of the kick drum and, and the overtones of the toms and those types of things, and then uh, having great musicians playing um is usually the final piece of the puzzle that can can get you to having a great sounding mix if you've tuned the pa well and you've done all these other things and then you put some great musicians on there you can really find that that you don't have to do a whole lot um but uh, i will also raise my hand and say i'm very guilty of uh of pre-dialing in some some eq i mean certain things like a, a kick drum or, you know, um, a vocal, we sort of see over time a pattern in how we EQ those things. And, and so a lot of times, especially if you're rushed and you're not going to get a really long sound check through the PA, you'll just go along and dial all those EQs in, um, just to sort of get ahead of the game. And that, that's totally cool. But like you said, this is really an exercise. It's a, it, it, it's a, you know, I'm not going to change the way I mix overnight, but, but this is an exercise in just trying a different, more simple, 
less cluttered approach and see see what you get out of it and see if you learn anything because that's really what it's about. Right. You know, and, and, and that, that is, and another reason that, that I, you know, having to admit now that I, I fell victim of my own problems is <laughs> I teach that way. I say, let's start with the gains. Let's put the faders up. Let's turn the gain up. Let's see what we get. Okay. Now let's add the high pass. Okay. Now let's go, you know, to the pan knobs if you're in a studio and, and start there. Mm-hmm. And then you add, now we'll see how much further we can go with EQ. Now we'll see how much further we can go with compression. And so you really have to really learn how to use each tool to the to the maximum that you can use it and get as much mileage as possible before you go to that next thing. And so, you know, there are absolutely situations when I would love something like a dynamic EQ. It's a very, very useful tool for a specific situation, but I don't pull that out unless I've tried everything else first and it still needs work, then I'll go there. You know, I don't slap right. that on every channel to start with. And I think that's a big difference. And I also, I, I have a, a little bit of a theory that a lot of the people that say they don't like the sound of digital mixes, I don't think it's it's the digital, so to speak. I think it's the fact that there's so much processing that's available so easily that they're just people tend to just use it because it's there. And so I think that it's not the digital sound necessarily. I think it's it's the sound of processing uh, that that maybe is not needed. You know what I mean? And so that's right. um, it, you really had to. And I think you I think you mentioned something similar to this in your piece. You used to really have to want that compressor. <laughs> you really, right. really had to want it because you had to go get it and you had to mount it in the rack and you had to patch it in. You had to check the gain and you had to get the little, you know, insert cable going. And and, and now it's you click a button and you have a compressor. And so that sort of is this really worth it? Do I really want this? That intent, you know, the, the sense of deliverance that you're using to, to say I need this certain processor in this in this spot. That's sort of you can short circuit that now. And whether or not you really need it, it's really easy to just have it. And so, you know, my caution to myself is make sure you really want it. You know, instead of just hitting that button, pretend that you still have to go get it and patch it and mount it and do all that stuff. And if you still want it, then hit the button. Right, right. And a lot of uh, a lot of this can uh, isn't just something that is relative to di- to digital world. I I remember some situations where you know friends of mine or uh, you know we'd be on a tour and that the opening act uh, you know front of house engineer would be really struggling with the the vocal or something. I just can't get the vocal to pop, you know, and sit on top of the whole mix. And, you know, would you be so kind as to just kind of have a look at what I'm doing and see, see what you think. And, um, I would say that the one trick that works almost every time to, to help someone who's having that problem is, is bypass, bypass, bypass on all the, um, on all the uh, plugins or the inserts. And again, same thing, you know, turn flatten the EQ, turn it up, get the high pass to a nice, uh, uh, frequency where you're getting rid of some low end, uh, junk and just turn it up. And it usually will sit on top of the mix so much better. And, and, you know, back in the analog world, I remember some guys, having a, you know, 27 band EQ and, you know, maybe, um, like a, a focus, right. Vocal, uh, channel, um, you know, a multi-unit where you had a little EQ and some compression and some DSing and all these things. And they would be, you know, they would be like six layers of processing deep, uh, on a vocal mic. Um, and just can be just as guilty in the analog world as, uh, as in the digital world. But, um, you know, you had, like I said, you had to work at it harder back then, get the cables, get, you know, mounted in the racks, just 
you know, all of it, uh, get it approved in the budget. You know, that's another thing you want. (laughs) If you want six pieces of processing for your vocal, you know, you have to have enough space and a budget at front of house to have all that stuff. So, um, but yes, in, in digital world, so much easier now to overdo it. And I think you're right. It's not always just the sound of a digital console's preamp. It's the, the latency and the, and the phasing and the, um, the interaction of all these different plugins that, that can cause a problem. And, uh, like you said, simple use of your favorite tools, like a, like a, a multiband compressor, uh, a tube compressor, or, you know, just a, a gate that you love with just the right setting that you know so well, the, the, the proper use of, of plugins across channels, um, by somebody who's really spent the time to learn how to make that plugin work for you in the best way is, uh, is fantastic. And, um, and it's all, it's all about approach. Again, this, this, again, this is a challenge. Try this, see if you learn anything, but I know guys who use tons of plugins and have absolutely stunning mixes. And then I know guys who use almost nothing and have, same can be said uh, in in a negative way. Some you know <laughs> some guys don't don't use a lot of anything and and they just are having trouble. So um, if if you develop a style of mixing, whatever it is, simple or complicated, if that works for you, great. But uh, I think if you're struggling and having problems, I think it's really a good idea sometimes to strip it all back and kind of start start from scratch. Well, you know, I for one will say that that definitely bailed me out, you know, as recently as yesterday. And and so hopefully if our <laughs> if our listeners uh or the readers of your article, you know, try this, I, I would I would be interested in hearing, you know, the results of what they take away from that. Um which also I think this is a good segue to I think the the other thing that we wanted to talk about with you today, Jim, which is you know, our, our favorite road stories and uh you know, the this discussion has made me think I was I was mixing this very small outdoor festival way in upstate New York. And it was one of those, like, you know, don't turn into the wrong, uh, if you miss the cornfield, you've, you've missed the festival type of thing. It was a very small <laughs> little festival. And, you know, I was the system tech and sometimes as a system tech, you've got to mix the openers. And so I was mixing the openers and the headliners front of house guy shows up and he comes out and we're kind of talking a little bit and he's setting up his, his gear. And, you know, I, I looked at him and I said, does that sound okay to you? Because I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm over compressing my bass. And he says, "You are like, <laughs> like, yep." Which was amazing to me because he had already listened to it and he had already realized that, and he didn't say anything because he was sort of letting me, you know, as as the young gun, kind of mess it up for myself. And as soon as I I said that, he said, "Yep," and I said, "Okay." And he said, "Well, here's what I would do." And he went in and he threw my headphones on. And I threw his headphones on. He said, well, come in and you put the EQ cut here. And then you don't have to compress. And so he went in and he already knew exactly what I was doing wrong and exactly how to fix it. And mm-hmm. he, he, you know, sort of just kept it to himself until I asked, which was, I thought, very cool of him. But also equally cool for him to jump in and, and, and say, well, yeah, you know, here's, here's what I would do. And he, of course, was right and, of course, sounded better after. And, and it was the classic case of, you know, I don't like this sound, so I'm going to just add more processing to it. You know, that's what I was doing. That's what I was doing. I was like 21 years old, and, and that's what you get sometimes. And, and so he right. bowed in, and, 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 you know, he got me out of there. And, and 
you know, what's amazing is he said, you know, look, he said, everyone comes to the table with their own recipe and this is just kind of my way of doing it. And, and what was funny is at the same show I had, you know, like you mentioned earlier, I had a cardioid subarray and he hadn't seen one of those. And so he was sort of looking at me funny and he was like, I don't know, kind of afraid to ask. And he said, can I ask you what's, you know, what's going on with that? And I said, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's cardioid subarray. And I sort of explained how it works real quick. And he went and he walked around the stage and he went around the back and he came back and he said, oh, that's, that's pretty incredible. He said, I've never heard anything like that. So, you know, we were both sort of able to have the humility to say, I don't understand what's going on here. And we were both able to sort of offer some knowledge that we had. And, and we both walked away from that, uh, you know, having learned something. And th- those are the situations that can very easily turn into a contest or, or territorial battle. And, and it didn't. Right. And, and that was, you know, if I think back of all the, all the gigs that I've worked on, that was one of my coolest experiences was, was that. Uh, sort of just let's both kind of get together here and let's both share what we know and let's both leave better, you know? Absolutely. And, and, and that's one of the greatest things about, uh, about working with the same people all the time. And this goes, this goes all the way from, you know, the, the, the club and, and sort of college uh, theater level all the way up to, to big tours is, um, you know, you, you you tend to get to know the people that you that are in your circle. So on a big tour, you know, it may go four, five, six months, and you um, may be the opening act, audio engineer, or the um, uh, you know the headliner. But you're working side by side with this person every day, and everyone I've ever worked with who um, I've worked with for any any length of time. I always take stuff away. I, I can almost say that daily I take something away from watching them work and a slightly different approach to something, um, different system engineers, the way they tune PAs. And, and, um, so it, it's an awesome thing when there is that, um, partnership that goes on, on an audio team and, you know, on a big festival, if it's, uh, you know, if there's three or four bands, uh, on on a big festival of uh, five six bands, you know you can you can kind of walk out front and and listen to everyone's mix and just kind of stand back and look over their shoulder and see what they're doing and and there's there's always something to be learned and and like you said, there's no right way. Everyone everyone has their recipe. They all have their their way. I mean, a good analogy uh, for me because I'm I, I just love to play golf is is a golf swing. You know. Um, I've seen some guys with some crazy golf swings who can just pound it, you know, 300 plus yards because they have figured out a way to make that motion work for them. Um, and you might be struggling with, uh, you know, hitting the ball down the middle of the, the fairway and, and say, you know, can you give me some pointers? Well, they may be able to give you some pointers, but at the same time, they may not be able to, because they're, they're, their their um, movement, their whole golf swing might be so different from the way you do it. So some things are kind of universal. I think there's some really good audio fundamentals like gain structure and and uh, you know getting a, a PA tuned up nicely to start the day. Um, I think there's a lot of things like that that are that are that everyone should have a pretty good grip on. And then and then there's guys who mix with a lot of style and uh, flavor and their way may not work for you. So, um, 
Um, but if you if you if you'd like me to throw a good uh, a good road story, and I was trying to think this over when you guys had mentioned it earlier, and um, uh, I think uh, one of my favorites was the actually the very first night I ever mixed a band, um, and I was in uh, it was 1981. I was in uh, living in Vancouver, Canada, and and I was taking recording school at uh, Columbia School of Broadcasting up there in Vancouver, and I had every intention to be uh, a recording engineer. So um, didn't really have much of a thought of ever being a live sound guy, but uh, a buddy of mine got a job with a band as a singer, and they were getting ready to go on tour. I had another job at a grocery store, and uh, they just kind of said, hey, you know, you're going to audio school, we're, we're all kind of inexperienced, uh, you know, musicians. If we can get a tour together, would you want to come out and, and do sound for us? So that was how I diverted my path to live sound. But, um, so, so, uh, a few things that you don't learn necessarily in recording school, um, that are very valuable, uh, in live sound. One of those things is, uh, you know, controlling feedback. Um, <laughs> so we had a sound system that was very basic. It was uh, like a 24-channel analog console, a bunch of mics, uh, stands, you know, a snake, and that was it. I had I, I had no processing. I had you know we 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 just got out the door and we're going to start this tour. So we're doing we're doing our first show, and you know I'm just kind of bringing faders up and trying to balance a mix and all of a sudden you know it was probably thinking back it was probably my my kick drum or my floor tom started to roll and it just started to ring and and uh you know uh five ten seconds later i'm like well i better do something about that so the only thing i really knew to do at the time was just to turn it down so i just turned the whole mix down and and this went on for uh, a couple songs and then the band took a took a break and they, they walked out front and they could tell something wasn't, you know, wasn't good up there. And, uh, so, um, I noticed these, uh, these sort of long haired, you know, musician type looking guys are kind of start circling the console area and they're looking at, at my lack of gear for the most part. And, um, and, uh, they, they kind of said, Hey, yeah, it sounds like you're having a little feedback trouble. And, and I honestly said to them, yeah, I guess I'm not really sure what's going on. Cause that, that was really my level of education on live sound at that point. And, um, uh, these guys said, well, you know, we, uh, we, we actually have a little rehearsal room right up the, the way here. And we noticed you don't have a equalizer in your sound system. Uh, you know, we'd be more than happy to run up the road on this break and pull it out of there. And, and you could use it for the rest of the night and, I, uh, I looked at these guys and I said, well, thanks very much guys, but I don't see how that's going to help. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was, uh, that was how my illustrious uh, career started out. It was, uh, that was uh, night number one. So these guys walked away and ordered another beer and that was, that was about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great story. And, and you know what? I think, uh, before we wrap up, there's something, Jim, that, that you and I have talked about. I think we spoke about it the first time we talked on the phone, and uh, it's so important, and it keeps coming up that I, I really want to share it with everybody. This idea of 
uh, they're calling it the imposter syndrome now or, or, or this idea of, you know, every time I go out, you're sort of going in the back of your mind, do I really know what I'm doing? Am I going to screw this up? You know, maybe just, how did I get here? Did I, did, you know, maybe I'm, am I a fraud? And, and you said that, you know, after all the years of doing what you've been doing and, and all the, you know, just absolutely top tier gigs that you've had, you still feel that way. And, and I think there's something that's really important about that. Um, that, you know, hey, we're never done learning and, and there's always this sense of, well, I understand what my limitations are and I understand the things that I would like to get better at. And I, I think that's really one of the hallmarks of a competent person is that, is that you're sort of wondering, is this good enough? You know, right. and, and uh, here, you know, that's something that I deal with a lot. And, and also, you know, a lot of engineers that I, that I talk to, particularly the younger ones, they, they also feel that way. And so I think it's just really important for, for a lot of people to hear that, you know, you know, that doesn't necessarily go away. There may never be a point when you go like, I got this, you know, and I, I, I've mastered right. it. Um, and, and quite honestly, I hope that I don't ever get to that point. I, I, I love continuing to learn and, and continuing to talk to other people and say, well, what are you doing? How do you solve these problems? And, and right. uh, you know, what are the new techniques? What are the new products available? What are the new uh, workflows that people are using? And that's one of the things that, that is a treat for me to be involved with, you know, uh, LSI and PSW in that way is that I really get to talk to guys like you and say, well, you know, how do you handle this? And so I just think it's really important to, to repeat that for anyone that may be feeling that way, which is, you know, that's a good thing, you know? <laughs> so so uh, keep feeling yeah. that way, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, and not only is there just, you know, if, if you take a little slice of the industry and you say, well, okay, uh, I'm mixing a rock band tonight and I have this console and these tools, um, you know, how good am I doing and what could I be doing better? Um, you know, everyone, I think, I think all of us feel like we walk away from a show and there was, you know, several things we wish had gone better, you know, that night. Uh, we wish the room was better. We wish the, the PA wasn't quite so this or that, or, um, you know, doing outdoor shows. I wish the wind hadn't kicked up and blown the sound all over the place. I mean, there's always something. And when you, when you get to have those magic nights where the room is behaving really nicely and the, the audience coming in has, has done a, a great thing to the reverb time in the room and tightened up the low end. And you, you just, we, I think we've all had those nights where, you just feel like, oh my gosh, this is like one of the best nights I've ever had mixing. Um, that is, that those are very few and far between. Most most nights you're arm wrestling the room, um, and you're dealing with something. And and then, you know, with the Roy Orbison uh, tour, you know, I'm I'm dealing with orchestras which I don't have tons of experience with, and there's, there's, there's just all kinds of things. I do a lot of corporate events as well. And those are hugely challenging. And we all know how much networking is going on now and troubleshooting network problems and learning new consoles and, uh, you know, techniques like, you know, subs, uh, wrangling subs to, to get the best response in the room. And, you know, you can always learn something from talking to someone else or reading something else in a magazine or online. There's just so much to learn. And as long as you feel like I'm doing the best I can, but I can still be so much better. I think that's half the trick. Yeah, absolutely. That's, well, that's, that's fantastic advice. And, you know, I, I, 
I feel that way, and I'm always I'm always like you know what else can I learn? What else What else is there? <laughs> you know, you, you know, madly googling <laughs> the next. Yeah. What's the next big <laughs> secret? You know, and and there isn't. There's no one big secret, but there's a lot of little tiny secrets, and they all add up, and, and they all make it better. So, um, well, I, I I I think Keith, is there any is there uh, anything else on our our docket here? Because I think we've uh, had a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, just a big, big thanks to Jim, uh, both for his time here and all the information and uh, acumen he shared, and also for the great contributions that just keep on coming to uh, Live Sound International and Pro Sound Web. And uh, I've posted a link, by the way, here on the podcast page to the uh, itinerary for the Roy Orbison show. So if you're interested, check it out. And if it's coming to your area, uh, be sure to go check it out. Stop by and say hello to Jim. I'm sure he'd be happy to see you. So, Jim, thank you so much for everything. We really appreciate it. Yep, absolutely. Thank you, Jim. Absolutely. My pleasure. I, it's been really fun, and I've, I've really enjoyed uh, contributing um, in, in Live Sound uh, International. It's, it's been a, you know, I've, I've been a reader forever, so getting to write some stuff is just such a thrill, and and I hope you guys like the stuff, and I hope to keep uh, just putting stuff in there that uh, that helps. Education for me is it's just absolutely my passion is to pass on, a, you know, a little bit of what I know that I've learned from other guys who've been willing to do the same. So, uh, you know, great magazines and great online forums, and like you said, you know, it, it, you know, instructional videos that that you can dive into just just keep doing it. Keep, keep learning and we'll all get better. And, uh, you know, one of these days we might find a way to, to mix a perfect show and it, 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 it's not the easiest thing to do by any means. All righty, Jim. Well, thank you. And, uh, thanks to our audience. Uh, and, uh, also thanks to our sponsor, blue microphones. We'll be back with a, another signal the noise podcast uh, very very soon so uh, stay tuned as they say take care everyone bye-bye